Well, today we come to the end of our uh, series, our preaching series on one word prayers. And I want to just pause for a moment because I've been doing some traveling this summer, but every Sunday I have looked to download and to find this, uh, this church's preaching sermon because it has been so good. It's been such a rich time of preaching. And I want to thank uh, the pastors who have been doing the preaching this summer. Tim Galley, Pastor Tim in particular, for being the architect of our One Word series, um, preaching series. He just laid out a rich and varied terrain for all the rest of the pastors to come in and preach to. It has been great. And of course, we've heard from pastors Jim Ennis and Dana Baker and uh, Dave Ripper and Robert Frazier and Andrew Breton. And uh, who is that other guy? Uh, Pastor Brian Wilkerson as well has contributed. But what great contributions in we, in, in each week to this series. So thank you guys and women for, for all you've done to make this a wonderful, wonderful series. Well, I am the closer here on Labor Day. Um, and I guess it's because I took a month off at the beginning of the summer on sabbatical. And, uh, of course, we all know how jealous pastors get about other pastors taking sabbatical, Jim Ennis, uh, especially. Uh, and they figured, well, somebody should be working on Labor Day, so let's let it be Van Antwerp. So I am up, and I'm privileged to be able to do that. <clears throat> Through the course of our series, we've uh, discovered that the words that we utter during the moments of our lives... Uh, sometimes the one word that, that we can formulate, that we can put to expressing what, what's on our hearts, can often become translated into prayers to God. Often they're prayers without us even knowing it. Words like please and help and thanks and wow. Even our sighs can be prayers. Or even those raw words we utter in frustration uh, speak to our desire to communicate with God, to pray. And so it makes sense at the end of our series on prayer that we have a final word, the final word, be the word amen. Now usually we don't think of amen as a prayer itself. We almost think of it as punctuation, the thing that comes at the end of the prayer that we've prayed. Um, it's, a, it's a word that comes at the end of almost every prayer that we pray, whether it's dinner prayer Dinner grace ends with amen. Evening tuck-in prayers for the kids always end with amen. Prayers of formal occasions, inaugural prayers, or commemorative prayers, invocations offered at formal moments, or our private personal prayers. They all end with the word amen. And we don't spend a lot of time thinking about what exactly amen means. It, it just sort of, it sort of spills off of our tongue, doesn't it? When our prayer is finished. In fact, the word amen is often nothing more than a throwaway line at the end of the things that we really want to say to God. <clears throat> I remember one time when I was home visiting my parents during my college years. And my mother had an answering machine sitting next. Uh, she, got a, she got a message on her answering machine. And this was in those days when the answering machine was actually a machine. Uh, you know, connected to the phone. And it had a little cassette tape inside of it that recorded the message. And it was from her friend, and I could tell, she said, come on, listen to this. She pushed play. And we could tell that her friend was sort of just walking around the kitchen doing whatever she was doing at home, almost as if my mom were in the room with her, 
And she started rambling about all the kinds of things that she thought my mom needed to know. And it was just this long, rambling, very conversational message. And it was as if at the end she realized, oh my goodness, I've been talking for a long time. And she breaks and uh, she catches herself. And she ends the message this way. She says, anyway, Margie, so I just wanted you to know. And uh, I probably have to go. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) I kid you not. She ended the message with, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you can imagine what it must have been like for her when that slipped out of her mouth. Uh, She hooted afterwards, what did I do? But it was, it was those days when you couldn't hit the pound button and do a redo like we can today. So she knew we had the goods on her. And we played that tape over and over and over. Honestly, if the internet had been invented back then, this thing would have gone viral. It was that funny. But it just speaks to the fact that we, we give such little thought to the word amen. Um, and uh, when I told someone I was preaching on the prayer amen, they said, what? What are you going to say about amen? And then I started to get nervous. (laughs) But I think we found some things. But this morning, I'd like for us to think a bit more about the word amen. I'd like us to think about what it means. Where did the word come from? And then, most significantly, what does it mean if we train ourselves to come to pray this word amen more regularly? How could it change us and shape the way that we live? So first of all, I want us to get right to the heart of the question, where does the word amen come from anyway? Well, it turns out the word amen comes from the Old Testament. It comes from the Hebrew Bible. And the word is literally translated, so be it. And it looks like three characters in a row. Um, And you can see that on your screens. That's the Hebrew word amen. So be it. Let it be so. It's a word of affirmation. Uh, the message, uh, or the, the scripture that we read this morning, was from the book of Nehemiah. And it tells a story about the people of Israel who had been taken from their land and had been taken into captivity uh, in Babylon, now Persia. And as they had been shuttled away from their homeland, they started to get reports that the, 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 the city of Jerusalem was fallen, that the walls had been toppled down. And Nehemiah was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes uh, of Persia. And when he heard word and report that the walls were crumbling in Jerusalem, he began to mourn and weep over the loss. And he petitioned his king to take a group of, of people back to their homeland so that they could work together to rebuild the walls of the city. And the king agreed and let them, let them head back. And with them, Nehemiah brought Ezra. Ezra was a priest. And he wanted Ezra to come back and lead the people again in the worship of God so that they could remember their identity. They could remember who they are. They could remember the way of life before they were taken into bondage. And so they all came back, um, gathered together, did the work on the walls of the city. The entire group of thousands of, of Jewish people came back to their homeland and started to rebuild the walls. And in time, the walls of the city were, were constructed And finally, when their work was done, they're standing in the front of one of the great restored gates was a platform that was built that Ezra would climb up to the top of. And in that morning, he would open the word of the Lord, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah, and he read through it from morning until noon. 
as the people were there gathered. And it wasn't just the reading of the Bible. It wasn't just reading of words. It was a reminder for them of who God was, the goodness of God, and his mercy and goodness to his people. It reminded them of who they were in the eyes of God, a God who created the world and who crafted for himself a people. It reminded them of their responsibilities in community as the law was read, to be gracious to one another, to be compassionate to those who are uh, weak and powerless, and to love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So all of these words washed over them on that morning as they stood there in the presence of the priest reading the word of God. And after hearing that story pouring over them from daybreak until noon, the scripture records their response. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Amen. Amen. It wasn't just words from their lips, but it extended through their bodies as they fell face down and worshiped God. What did it mean? It was a wholehearted affirmation of what they just heard Ezra speak. Wholehearted affirmation. Amen is spoken by the people in response to hearing of the person and the work of God in the world. And so, literally, amen means so be it. Let what we just heard be so. Now, in the New Testament, we come across the word amen again. This time it's translated from the Hebrew. It's actually not translated directly, it's transliterated. So the word in the Hebrew Bible is amen, amen, and the word in the Greek is amen, which is a transliteration of the word. It means the same thing. Jesus says it at the beginning of his statements. If you have ever heard the Bible verses that say verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, guess what it is? That's amen, 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 I say to you. So instead of a, an affirmation of truth that's been spoken, in the New Testament, Jesus, when he uses it, it's an enunciation that truth is coming. Amen, amen, truly, truly. And then finally, the New Testament writers often use the word amen at the end of extended praises, passages of praise, or at the, uh, at the end of beautiful benedictory statements about God's blessing to his people. It's like they've got nothing more to say, so they'll say it all again by saying, amen, so be it. As if they're caught up in what they're writing. And all they can do is to affirm once more. And so for generations throughout the church, as believers gather all over the world, amen has been used by the church as this overwhelming, enthusiastic, verbal response to who God is and to all that he's done. The writer Dallas Willard talks about this word, amen. And here's what he says. He says, Just the way we want it is not a bad paraphrase for amen. Amen, he says, is a ringing affirmation to the goodness of God in his world. And if your nerves can take it, you might occasionally try, whoopee! I imagine God himself would not mind. So to sum it all up, to say amen is to give a wholehearted yes to all that God affirms. To say amen is to give a wholehearted yes to all that God affirms. 
Now, the trouble with us in our world is that we, we don't live in a world that's eager to give out wholehearted, enthusiastic yeses, do we? We live, some of us maybe, but we live in a world that's reticent, that likes to hold back. We rather circumspect a lot of people around here. We like to keep our hand close to our chest and weigh all of our options first before we throw in with a, with a, with a loud amen. Uh, as a matter of fact, the idea of being all in too quickly runs counter to our way of thinking. Instead of saying yes, we find ourselves saying, well, maybe, show me more. Let me consider all the other options first. You know, much of this is healthy, and, uh, and we need to acknowledge we do live in New England as well, a little bit more circumspect than maybe some others. Um, we want to be thoughtful and, con- and consider carefully before buying into something too soon. Guys, you don't want to propose marriage an hour after you meet the girl. It's not time yet. You don't want to walk into a showroom floor and buy the car at sticker price because you've been wowed by the salesman explanation. You don't want to take at face value all that your professors will tell you during your freshman year. Uh, You don't want to become a Red Sox fan right away simply because you become the pastor of a large church in the Boston area. (laughs) Although, Brian, I have to say we're beginning to understand your reticence a bit more this year. Um, but if, So, of course, we want to take time to formulate our judgment. Um, we want to have a clear view of things and consider the evidence. That's okay. But, but what's not okay could be that our tentativeness is a sign of something more sinister at its heart. It could actually be that we're tentative or reticent because our own pride and ego are getting in the way. We don't want to buy in. Because it's not our idea. Or that idea might begin to demand something from me if I buy in. A lot of the times we like to live objectively, above the fray, right? Let, let, let other people battle out ideas. Because if we were to move in and affirm something, it might cost us something uh, if we move forward. And at worst, this reticence can, can be seen as cynicism, which is crippling. Uh, to our ability to say yes to things. Um, That great theologian, Stephen Colbert, uh, spoke about the danger of cynicism when he spoke at a graduation uh, a while back. Listen to what he says. It's actually really thoughtful. He says, cynicism masquerades as wisdom, but it's the farthest thing from it. Because cynics don't learn anything. Because cynicism is a self blindness, a rejection of the world because we're afraid it'll hurt or disappoint us. Cynics always say no. But saying yes begins things. Saying yes is how things grow. Saying yes leads to knowledge. Yes is for young people. So for as long as you have the strength to, say yes. What a good word. And I would echo, as long as we have the strength to, say yes. Amen. Say amen to God. Well, we know what the word amen means, and we know what causes us to hesitate from saying amen. The next question is, how can we strengthen our ability to pray that one-word prayer? How can we strengthen our amen instinct, our instinct to say amen to the things of God? 
Um, now, I understand that some of you are here this morning, and you're not particularly interested in praying a prayer of amen. Uh, maybe you're here for the first time, or you're checking things out, or someone invited slash dragged you to come to church today, and you relented. Um, let me just say, you're off the hook this morning, because, because we don't want anyone saying amen in a way that's inauthentic. We want people to be authentic to themselves. And, uh, and God recognizes where each of us are at. But maybe you're here this morning and you would like to move to a place where your, your prayer of amen becomes strengthened and deepened and enriched. And you want to move to a place where you get beyond your own inability to offer your voice wholeheartedly. Well, if that's you this morning and you want to freely and, and unreservedly respond to God with a resounding amen, then I want to encourage you that there are some things that you can do to help strengthen your amen instinct. And I want to offer just a few practices to help this one-word prayer become a prayer that you can pray with authenticity and become a prayer of your heart. So strengthening your amen instinct, the first thing I would say, the first practice I would suggest to you is, is simply to make more room in your life for God. Make room in your life for God. I find it interesting that when Ezra and the people gathered together to rebuild the walls with Nehemiah leading them, uh, when they gathered outside of the gate of the city wall, the scripture says, Ezra the teacher of the law stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. A high wooden platform built for the occasion. You know what that means? It means that there was a, a company of people whose job it was to prepare this moment for Ezra and for their friends, the people of Israel, for God to show up and speak into the life of the community. It means preparations were made. It means they, they went out and got the labor. They went out and got the wood and the nails and the hammer. And they prepared in their life, corporately, a place where they would expect for God to show up. And when the word went out that they were coming together to gather to hear the word of God, there was the platform already established. And the people were ready. They'd made room for God to speak. I wonder if you've ever constructed a platform like that in your life. Cleared away some space or some time or a place where you go where you expect to hear the voice of God speaking into your life. I mentioned that we're at the beginning of a new season of our lives as fall starts and everything ramps up and we lay plans together corporately and individually. I wonder if in the midst of those plans you're finding time to clear away some space to hear from the voice of God, if you've ever done that. Things that you might intend to read, voices you might point to, to listen to. Over the years, I've shared about my grandmother. My grandmother, Mary Agnes Wagner, was the spiritual matriarch of our home. And she lived to be 93 years old, and her love for God was uh, palpable, um, just incredible. And I remember one time we came home from college, another coming home from college story. Uh, but we were visiting. My grandmother lived in our home. She'd made a bedroom in the back in the living room. Uh, where she, uh, in her declining years, uh, stayed, and she stayed with us. And so we'd come home. I actually brought Julie home this time, and 
Um, she was meeting the family, I think maybe the second time. We were sitting there in the living room, having a great conversation. My parents were there, sisters, brothers. My grandmother was there as well. And uh, partway through the conversation, Nana stood up, and she starts to walk out of the room. And I could see she's sort of retiring back to her quarters. And I said, Nana, where do you have to go that's so important, that's more important than being here with us? And I was trying to woo her back, and she turned and looked at me, and she said, oh, lovey, I've got an appointment with the king. And I thought, oh, the trump card has been played. You go right ahead. But what did that mean? It just meant that she was going back to her room, and she was going to spend time with God. She was going to sit in the little chair next to her bed, and she was going to push the tape player next to her chair, which had the Bible on tape. She didn't need it because she'd memorized the whole thing nearly, backwards and forwards. But she'd sit there hearing the words of God, washing over her again, needing to have a connection with her father, and then she'd take time and pray. Can I tell you, I've never heard a more, a, a more resounding or more beautiful amen uttered than from the lips of my grandmother because she'd always made space in her life to hear from God and to let him reside deeply within her so that her amen came out with authenticity and conviction and adoration. I wonder if you're constructing platforms in your life, places where you expect God to show up. As we enter into a new life, uh, season of life here at church, I'd encourage you to make Sunday morning one of those places, one of those platforms where you come expectantly to hear from God. Next Sunday, we're going to be hearing about uh, uh, our vision for the year, some fresh vision for where we believe God's calling us to go as a church. And in the weeks to come, we're going to launch into a new sermon series out of the book of Philippians. Make Sunday morning a priority for you. If you don't have a church, join us here on Sunday morning at any of our campuses. Make Grace Chapel a home and a place where you come expectantly to hear from God. I'd encourage you also that we have small group experiences where together we gather to open God's word, to hear from the Lord, to talk about it, and again, just to create space. And then finally, if you're not in the habit of spending individual time with God, something we call a devotional life, then, then make some time this year. Carve out some time this fall. A few minutes in the morning is a great time. One of the great devotional writers, Oswald Chambers, says, Unless in the first waking moment of the day you learn to fling the door wide back and let God in, you will work on a wrong level all day. But swing the door wide open and pray to your Father in secret and every public thing will be stamped with the presence of God. Take a few minutes in the, mo in the morning. Construct a platform. Let God speak to you in those moments. One tool that we use around here often is the encounter with God. It's a devotional guide that you can pick up at any of the information desks uh, after the service, or you can go online at grace.org devotional, and you can find out how to access that. Uh, but again, it's a great guide for you if you want to establish a, a habit like that. Well, do you want to strengthen your amen instinct? The first thing to do is to make room in your life for God. The second thing I'd suggest is is the discipline of cultivating the habit of responsiveness. Cultivating the habit of responsiveness. We, we talked about our, our general tendency to resist saying yes to things, right? 
I believe part of what can make us ready to say yes to God is if we train ourselves against this stubborn tendency to, to keep the no latch locked and not let the yes out. We do that all the time in lots of different ways. And I believe if we, if we learn to say yes to things, and in particular to say yes to things that are good, and say yes to things that are good that come as an idea from someone else, and say yes to things that are good that come as an idea to us from someone else and not ourselves, and then finally cost us something. If we get used to saying yes to things like that, then we'll train ourselves to begin to say yes to God. And they can be big and little things. When your wife looks at you from the reading chair right after she sort of settled herself in and is ready to read, and there you are next to her, settled in yourself, and says, would you be willing to get me a glass of water? Say yes. Unlock that no latch and let the yes out. Uh, when a friend invites you to see them at their school play that they've been preparing for this semester, say yes, gather with some other people and go and see it. When, when a brother asks you if you want to play a game together, a board game, kids, say yes to that good relationship. When you're asked to join and help someone who's making their way through a hard time, say yes. Train yourself to know how it feels to move beyond reluctance towards agreement and acceptance and responsiveness. Uh, a few months ago, my 15-year-old daughter uh, told us that she was really interested in getting chickens as a pet. And uh, I could feel that latch, like, shut tight. And uh, as she ex expressed more enthusiasm, I could feel my hands gripping that no latch and keeping it closed. Um, but over time, I, I, I heard the word of a, a wise friend in my ear who said, anytime you can say yes to your kids, say yes. Because there are going to be times you're going to need to say no, and they mean much more if you've said yes initially. I hate that voice. Um, <laughs> but it came back again and again and again. And uh, finally, I relented. Um, so here's a picture of my daughter, Bethany, um, with her chicken condo, <clears throat> and uh, the chickens are in the mail, believe it or not, on their way. Um, and you know what's interesting? I have to say, I've moved past my initial reluctance, and once you say yes, you find yourself sort of embracing the idea and sort of leaning into it. And I'm kind of looking forward to having some um, larger feathered rodents running around in my yard. Uh, <laughs> I kind of, kind of warmed up to the idea and eggs and all of that. So uh, cultivate the, response, the, the habit of responsiveness in your life. Get yourself used to doing what it, you, get yourself knowing what it feels like to release that no latch and to let the yes out. And as we learn what it feels like to move beyond reluctance, to embrace, then God can use those newly carved channels in our life for his purposes. Because when we say yes to God, what we're saying yes to is his invitation, his bid to then move closer in relationship to us. If we allow ourselves regular time to be in his presence and prepare ourselves to move from reluctance to embrace, then when God moves forward, we find ourselves ready to receive him. And you know what? In the end, 
In the end, we find that he fulfills the deepest longings of our heart. And that when we get him, we get what we always have wanted. And our amen, so be it, Lord, becomes an amen. Thank you, God. But it only comes as we cultivate that habit of being responsive. So make room in your life for God. Cultivate the habit of responsiveness. And then finally, don't keep your amen to yourself. Don't keep your amen to yourself. Nothing deepens faith or helps the truths of God embed more deeply in my own life than the amen that I hear coming from all of you, our church friends and family and community of faith. Now, we're not a particularly vocal amen congregation here. We don't say it a lot like other churches do as the pastor preaches. I haven't heard many amens. But... Uh, but I'm okay with that because I do hear it when one of you steps up to the front of the sanctuary, any of our sanctuaries, and shares your story about what God's been doing in your life and about where he met you and where he's leading you. I hear it when I hear the stories that are shared at CR of, of people who are overcoming, overcoming the, the press and, and, and the power of addiction through the grace and forgiveness of God as he's working his life, his way through their life. I, I hear the amen when when I see an email that's been sent to one of the pastors after they've preached from somebody who said, what you said is what I've lived, and thanks be to God for what he's doing. Or when at times applause rises in our sanctuaries as, as, as a song finishes, or someone completes the, the sharing of the word. And all of those things are amen to God. And when I hear it, it strengthens my own faith. John Piper wrote this. He said, God calls us out of our cocoons of unshared responsiveness. You see, he doesn't want our responsiveness to be unshared. He wants us to share it with others because when we do something, good happens. When Ezra gathered the people of Israel together, reading the word aloud, each of them offered up their amens to God, and their amens joined with others' amens into a cacophony of amen that was praise to God. So be it. I mentioned that when the word amen was taken from the Hebrew and brought into Greek, it was transliterated to sound like amen, amen. Well, when the gospel went throughout the world, guess what? The word amen was never translated so be it. We don't say so be it. We say amen in English. And that word is transliterated throughout all the tongues of the globe. And think about this. When we get to heaven, when we gather with the people of God from all ages, whether they're speaking Japanese or Korean or Swahili or Hindi, or any of the languages around the world, there's one word we'll recognize, the word amen, because it's the same word for all of us. So be it. Amen. And as we offer our amen, as we offer our, our amen together with others, God isn't standing back silently soaking it all in. God participates in the amen saying himself. Listen to 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22. It says, whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. 
In him, this is what we preach and pray. The great amen, God's yes and our yes together, gloriously evident. God affirms us, making us a sure thing in Christ, putting, uh, putting his yes within us. By his spirit, he stamped us with his eternal pledge, a sure beginning of what he is destined to complete. God's amen comes to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the great amen. And when Jesus, when God says amen through Christ, you know what he affirms? He's affirming you, his love for you. He's affirming me, his love for me. He's affirming that the people that he's created out of love, he wants back so much that he'd offer the precious gift of his son Jesus to win us back, that we might be his. And that when we offer an amen to God, his amen joins with us in the person of Christ and fuels our spirit. Our amen with Christ's amen through God. Because in Christ, death and resurrection, we are forgiven, made new, and brought back to him. That's the shared amen that resounds throughout the ages. So we've talked about what amen means. We've talked about how to cultivate your amen instinct and make an amen prayer, one that's authentic from within, by making room in your life for God and cultivating the habit of responsiveness and not letting your amen be unshared. But the question is, when we say amen, what is it that we say amen to exactly? Like, what are we affirming? What are we saying yes to? And I'd like to give a shot at this as I wrap up this message. Now, this is where I wish I had half the unction that many of my African-American brothers and sisters who are pastoring around the world had because they know how to offer an amen or the anointing power in the belly that my, the Pentecostal side of our family has. They know how to lift it. Uh, but I'm going to do the best that I can as a white suburban male <laughs> born in upstate New York. Can you bear with me? When we say amen, what are we saying yes to? We're saying yes to God. We're saying yes to a great God. We're saying yes to a God whose character is pure, whose, whose love is undefiled, whose mercy is limitless, whose justice is true. When we say amen, we say amen to, to God's world, the world that is bursting with life and crackling with potential and, and soaked through with God's glory. When we say amen, amen, we say yes to the power of God. To his power to overturn sin and darkness. We say yes to the promises of God. The promise that one day the world will be made right. We're saying yes to the personalities of God. To God the Father whose tender love guides us. To God the Son whose suffering death saves us. To God the Spirit whose power is our strength. We're saying yes to a God who binds up the wounds of the afflicted. Who brings the fatherless into homes. Who gives the lonely friends, and family. We say yes to a God that meets us in the famine of our shame and sorrow and sets us before a great banquet table of hope. We say yes to Jesus, who's the resurrection and the life, who empties the prisons of those shackled by addiction, who topples the pedestals of, of the opposing powerful forces, 
who, who fills the bellies of the hungry, who puts a stranglehold on Satan and deals death its final blow, who bears the brunt of the consequences of sin. And in a final shout, Jesus says, it is finished. We say yes to a God when we say amen. We say yes to that future and glorious day when all God's people will be gathered together around God's throne, when all things will be restored, when all things will be made new, when the resurrection and the life will not only refer to Jesus, but to everything under Jesus' reign. And together, we'll sit joyfully, giving praise to God. No conflict, no division, no separation, but in one voice, all together, unified, crying out blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever and ever. Amen. 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 Now that, that's a way to end a sermon series. Praise be to God. Let's pray. You can keep standing. Lord God, we thank you that you place within us a heart that is eager to speak amen to you. We thank you, God, that, that when we say amen, we open our lives to very, very good things because you have the best things in store for us. We love you, Christ. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, as we, come, as we come to the close of the series, uh, we have written a corporate prayer that we'd like to share uh, together and pray together. And uh, it's one that reminds us of all the one-word prayers that we prayed throughout this summer. So I'm going to invite you to continue to stand and pray with me. The words of the prayer will be on the screens. If you see yellow, that's where you can jump in and respond. Um, I'll read the straight lines to begin with, and uh, let's do this together. Dear God... We're born with a natural tendency, an instinct, a predisposition to raise, to offer, to lift expressions of our hearts towards the heaven. We call it prayer. There are times when we are short on words, when long phrases fail us, when we all, all we can muster are simple syllables, guttural groanings, single words. Please meets our lips in a time of desperation. Help affirms our need for you. Wow, a natural response to your wonders, but answers that chasm between your ways and our understanding. Why leads us deep into a journey of faithfulness. And then there are those words we mutter under our breath, or loudly at others, or even at you. Even in them, by your grace, we find our fighting turns into talking. Sigh invites your spirit to breathe hope into our hearts. Thanks places us in the presence of God. And in the end, we say amen to the great amen, to the one who is faithful and true. Jesus, may your ways be ours. May your truth be our way. May your life be our truth. May your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen, amen, and amen, amen. God bless you.